This podcast covers subject matter that may not be suitable for all audiences, especially young children. Hi, everybody. This is Luisa Yates. Welcome to Beauty Book by Checkup Project. What is Beauty Book? In every episode, we will address a topic important to youth. Exploring electric areas, digging deep to find tools and tricks that our listeners can use. Specifically, we will talk about our identity as Inuit, our communities, and our relationships. We will talk about many hot topics including sex, alcohol, sexually transmitted infections, gender identity, and Inuit pride. As Inuit youth, I want to hear what our own people have to say about these things and see what other youth think. We will also have input from people all over Canada and from you, our listeners. So contact us via Checkup Project Facebook page. We want to hear what you have to say. This is Luisa Yates. Welcome to the show. This is Beauty Boot. All right, so today on Beauty Boot, we're going to be talking about us. To get us started, I want us to dig into our grassroots. I went around and I asked people, what does it mean to you to be Inuk, to be Indigenous? Today, we will talk about our history, healing, and making it history. We will have Twin Flames in an interview in the studio later on. We have Olivia Aiki here, Vice President of the Street Youth Council, who is a staple youth in Nunavik, and uh, we're going to hear a lot of great things coming from her. Yay! <laughs> so... Basically, oftentimes when we hear about Inuit and we talk about the news like we were kind of doing this morning before we came into studio, uh, we hear a lot about, you know, um, either super negative things or we hear a lot about um, revitalization of our culture, of our language, of our lands. And anyways, so hopefully throughout this conversation, we'll be able to cover what it means for you guys to be Inuit. So again, I'm here with Lucy, Olivia, Alexa, Kayla, Melissa. Hi, guys. Hi. So welcome to the show. And I'd really, what I'd really like to know from you guys is what does it mean for you to be Inuk? Um, Also, did you know that the word pride is complicated in our culture? So... I'm going to open the floor up to anyone who would like to answer. What does it mean for you to be Inuk? That's a super hard question, especially for me. I look like a white person. like, And I feel it every day when I'm walking in communities, going into schools, the children think I'm a white person, you know? And it's like, hi! And as soon as I say, hey, they walk away because they know I'm not going to give them coins or, you know? And I feel like a white person. Sometimes I'm like, I want that skin. I want that hair, that black hair. So for our listeners right now who are physically not with us, Olivia Aiki is actually a green hair, green haired. Green haired. <laughs> That's me. Alexa has green <laughs> Olivia is actually a green eyed, blonde haired. Inuk. Inuk. So for you. What does it Inuk? make me Inuk? At one point I was asked this question and I said, well, because I speak Inuk to That's what makes me Inuk. But one of my really good friends barely speaks Inuktitut. So I said, does that make her not Inuk then? And I said, no. And then I said, me, I don't eat traditional food. I don't eat matak. I don't eat fish. I don't eat misirak. And I'm like, does that make me not Inuk? 
But then my best friend eats misrak and everything. So is she more Enoch than me? Like, it's a super complicated question to answer. And I was just speaking with someone from Avatak the other day, and I said, you can't, it's not a checkoff. You don't check boxes off and say, if you have all these checked off, then you are Enoch, you know? And I said, it's the connection you have. It's the values you have. It's it's It's... The pride that you have, it doesn't matter if you speak the language or if you've been home away from home for many years. It's do you have those connections and do you believe in your family and your communities? That's what I feel like. You know, my boyfriend is French and he's not white anymore. He's actually pink. We call him pink <laughs> because he's like, to me, he's practically Inuk. I always forget that he is the only white Gadboa. All of the other Gadboas are half Inuk. And my boyfriend's the only one that's fully by blood white. And people automatically think he's Inuk and he understands Inuktitut. And I'm like, babe, you're like so Inuk. Your values, your connection to your family is so Inuk. So when people speak to him in Inuktitut, he goes, wee wee ngavunga, suwa. So it's like me, I'm living in a, in a tri-freaking-tri-world. My daughter's French, English, Inuk, and it, it's hard, you know, and you say you want to be a proud Inuk, but we're putting down other cultures that our children have now, and... Like, it's really hard, so I'm I'm not like under percent I'm Inuk, I'm Inuk. I'm I'm everything, and I have to be proud of all parts of that. You have to own it all. Yeah. So being Inuk is not only how you look or what no. you eat or what you do. It's owning it for you. It's owning it. It's, it's showcasing it to the world. Because five years ago, I used to say I was a white person. I was so ashamed to be an Inuk person. We have the highest suicide rates, the highest alcohol, drug abuse, highest incarceration, highest STDs, highest drop out like I was like I'm not gonna tell people I'm Inuk how embarrassing and every time I did tell someone I'm Inuk their perception of me completely changed in a matter of two seconds I was not the same person that they were just talking to you know so I never wanted to tell people that I was Inuk until they got to know me they got to know that I was smart that I was dedicated that I was motivated I was reliable top it off I'm Inuk Whoa, they're like, wow, you're Inuk? No way. Kind of like you have to prove yourself yeah. Yeah. to be yeah. worthy in their eyes. Yeah. yeah. Like and you can't even get in a taxi without them no. asking you. Like, yeah. And it's, it, you're right. It's because the way the media perceives Inuit is we, you know, live in igloos. And we go around we're, on our dog sleds. Right. And we're behind the rest of the world, technologically, educationally. You know, we always find ourselves in situations where we have to prove ourselves, like you said, Kayla. And I think it's also either they perceive us as people that live in igloos or that we're just drunks and alcoholics and we're not mm -hmm. good at doing anything. Right. So it's like you got to be like, no, I can use this technology and I can be successful other than being a drunk or an alcoholic or, you know, all those things that are associated to us. And what to, to respond to what you were saying, like, I think... But Hano, it's not necessarily how you look that makes you Inuk, or not only that connection too, but also those things like culturally, it's good to keep our culture alive, to speak Inuktitut and to eat our food and to go hunting and to teach ourselves that and all those things together. Like 
I'm like, yeah, I'm proud to be, you know, I can go hunting and you can't. Like, that's something other people can't necessarily do. Mm-hmm. So, like, that for me is like, yeah, my family's super cool. They just hunted a tuk and <laughs> I'm going to eat that later. It's going to be so good, you know. So it's like, it's always a good feeling to have those other stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's easy for us to talk about all the negative things that are associated with us because we are oftentimes stereotyped against, right? Mm-hmm. So we have all the odds against us, but what is it what what are feel good moments for you? Like what what gives you pride to be, you know, yeah, we we spoke about our ability to be able to go out and hunt and feed ourselves and feed our family and the communities, but what else? Um, like all the women that sew, I can't sew. I know my sister does, but <laughs> I can't sew. And I'm always so proud seeing like their atiriks and they look beautiful. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Like I, I, I'll i wear my own and people be like, wow, where did you buy that? And I'm like, no, my cousin made that for me. You know, you like feel so proud. Yeah, I'm hey, always cousin. so happy to go look at my gummies. Look I at my gummies. <laughs> They're the greatest thing ever. And I'm just like, I didn't even make them, but like, People in my community can, so, like, I want to show my pride, and I'm always sad that I can't wear them here because they're <laughs> salt. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to show them off. Let me wear them down here. <laughs> we need to come up with a hybrid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we need to start like doing, like, cover. Like, <laughs> like those uh, um, Manitoba mukluks with, the like, bottom. the rubber. Yeah. yeah. But then at the same time, it's, I, I always worry about being exploited. Because oftentimes, you know, we talked about, you know, being stereotyped against. And then we are also often seen as easy targets. And we get put in situations where we're exploited. So also, like, because they think we're so, like, behind in technology, you're going to be like, oh, they're not going to know what to do. Like, if I steal this from them, like this uh, pattern or whatever, they're not... Like they think, like oh, I can go sell that on my own, make lots of money. Mm-hmm. But See it's you like, <laughs> no, it's kind and of that's the huge thing that was brought up in a meeting the other day: intellectual property, like like cultural appropriation. We have no marks to say that gummies are ours, and we can bring people to court for it. Like people in Paris are walking around with emotics now. They make emotics in Paris. What like, the hell? Ha- have you ever tried to make an emotic? It's hard. It's really hard. It's like There's putting so together many pieces. Yeah, I hate sewing. Oh my god! But you're really good at it. I literally beat beat my sewing machine. I love designing. Like I'll sketch it out. I'll pick the colors. I'll fix everything. I'll and I'll give it to the sewer. <laughs> Can you please like, do this? I, I, I have a hard time with the pattern making. I'm just like, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do this. This is so complicated. Just give me a pattern that's ready, and I'll do the sewing itself. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Technical stuff, leave me out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Lucy? Me, I try to make a baby kamotik. Yeah. And so now, it is a whole thing on supping and it's a little bit money. It's a little bit of money. It's a little bit of money. So, can um, huh? you say it? No, it's a little bit of Inuit pride. Um, this morning I was wondering because I was alone in the bus and I saw the white guy who wearing an Inuit hat. I'm like... And that's a thing? Uh, really? 
Yeah, I feel like I'm not, you know, and he's the white guy and he's the only one who is in it now. When I'm on my way here, I find it that I feel like I'm in it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so for a lot of our listeners, um, other than Olivia, our round table here are basically Inuit, urban Inuit, right? So we have been living outside of our territory for X amount of years. It doesn't matter. We're still Inuit, right? We just yeah. have um, N numbers now on our foreheads, apparently. So mm-hmm. being Inuk in the communities as opposed to being an urban Inuk are, is very different. So do you guys have any comments about that? I don't know if it's very different. It's different for sure. But like in terms of being an Inuk, Back at home or being an Inuk here, like in Montreal, you're still an Inuk, you know, it doesn't change. It's just how you access to those things. Like, I can't go hunting right now because what am I going to hunt? Where am I going to hunt? <laughs> you know, like, me, I'm not going to walk oh, around with a oh, gun and everything. You can now hunt squirrels in Montreal. No. Oh yes. Why? Why would you want to? Because there's too many of them on the island now. <laughs> They're taking over. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to hunt squirrels, you can do that here. Oh yeah, my, but, what, what? You know. Seriously, you can. What are you going to do with that? Though? I have no idea. Holy <laughs> tits Oh, your <laughs> <laughs> like maybe like those guys from uh, Duck Dynasty, Squirrel Soup. Ew. Oh my God, no, thank you, <laughs> <laughs> Melissa. Can you repeat the question? So, so we we're talking about you know pride, and we talk about you know what it's like to be uh, in the communities in the region above the fifty fifth, and then we also talk about what it feels like to be under the fifty fifth. Um, for me, if I in my experience, I find that being Inuk in, uh, in the north and being Inuk in the city is, uh, I go back and forth. I, I view myself on one side, I'm an Inuk from the north because of where I work, and an Inuk from the city, and I'm in the middle as a magnet. So each time I go one place to another, I'm more, I'm more sensitive to Inuit people and their language, art. Uh, our culture and on our language, and and when I go back home in Montreal, I'm more sensitive to English speaking more 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 uh, other different cultures besides Inuit. That it, it you live in Montreal, right? Yeah, I do. So Montreal is like one of the most multicultural cities that I've ever been in personally. So you're right; it's really easy to either get lost in 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 the mumble jumble of it all here in the city. Um, is there something that makes you in particularly proud to be you know when I speak more in it yeah I did um I did a a course uh, in college where how we link language and culture together where we figured that if there's no language there would be no culture so what I'm most proud of when I when I actually speak when when I do speak it, what it's more like when I hear it a lot, I do speak in it to do, and so that's what I am most proud of. If I speak in it to do, because when when I grew up, when I grew up, I only spoke English, and when I got here, and now that I'm older, and I possibly want kids someday, and I'm thinking about like I didn't really hold the language in myself, and it's just like I think that I would have that I'll have that one big regret not passing it on to my children. If I have children, that's that is. But is that that's the one I'm most proud of. That I I try to keep keep going at it, even though I think I'm not all that great. But yeah. But there's still hope. Yeah. 
There is. And there's always these revitalization projects that are coming up. And oftentimes it's up to our generation to take back what other generations have lost. So when we talk about moving forward, when we talk about our children and how we want our children to be, how we want the world for our children to be, we always have to think about, okay, what belongs to us? Our pride belongs to us. Our culture belongs to us. So what can we do at our grassroots level and in our own homes to be able to preserve these kind of things? Um, does anybody else have anything to say about cultural and of pride? I mean, just about what you were saying now for like our children and stuff. I know for us, me and my sisters growing up here, uh, my parents worked really hard for us to know our language. It's like, I'm like, thank you. I know I'm so good at it. Like I'm, I'm so proud of it. And I know our parents talk about it a lot that they had to work hard for it because growing up here, we went to French schools and English schools and they they were like, oh, why aren't, why aren't you speaking French at home? And we were like, well, it's not in our culture. It's not. Yeah, like that was one of the things my mom fought with my teachers a lot. Like when I started school here, I was in like the international class where nobody spoke any French or English. Oh, no. Yeah. You I were was, stereotyped. Yeah. Like, but like I didn't like I spoke French, English at like five years old. Like I understood what was going on. But I was still put with the international kids because, mm-hmm. hey, this little kid only speaks in Utitut. <laughs> and, like, I remember, I think it was... To Canada. I know. Like, yeah. what the hell? And, like, my mom had told my grade one teacher, um, it's your job to teach my daughter French. It's your job to teach her at school. My job at home is to teach her our culture and our language and not... French is not my thing. Like there was a point where she was like, "You should uh, teach. You, you should cook with her in French. You should eat with her in French and uh, brush your teeth, brush her in, teeth French. in French before you go to bed. Read her a story. Like that should be for us in Inuktitut. So they they had that like fight for us, and now we're able to speak Inuktitut, and it's like. We have different you standards. Gotta keep going, yeah. yeah. Our standards of preservation and of like culture Melissa are totally said, different. She doesn't necessarily like speak perfect in you know, it like neither do I. Neither do I. But it's still like <laughs> I'm so proud of it. And I know a lot of people are like, Oh, I only speak few words. And I'm like, Good, keep keep doing it, keep going. Like it's important. Like, too. like if I don't understand something, I just ask someone, like, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I say this? Or I'll repeat a word and stumble over until they correct me. <laughs> right. And you shouldn't feel, like, ashamed, like, oh, I don't know what that means. Just ask and learn and just keep going. That's how we keep it. Me, I, I, (laughs) growing up, like, I was always the Halunak, like I said, and I traveled everywhere. I've lived in Salui, Akulivik, Inukchuak, Manshuak, Kuchuak. I went everywhere with my mom, and I was always the white kid in the town, eh? I, I met an elder the other day from Akulivik, and I said, oh, I used to live there. She goes, hey, fijalo <laughs> naolo. Yeah, that was me. Uh-huh. But as a kid, like, and growing up different coasts, the different dialects, every yeah. time I went back from Salut to Kutra, I got ridiculed. Every time I went back from Kutra to Salut, I got ridiculed from my dialect. And at one point, I was like, what is the point of this? You know, I really didn't want to speak Inutituk for a long time. And as a kid, I was in the lower Inutituk class. You know, there's a higher level and a lower level. 
And I was always in the lower level class with my other half-breed Inuit kids. And by the time I got to secondary, I was in like the high-level Inuit class and I couldn't believe it. And my brother chose not to go to Inuit He went to French instead. He can't even speak French. Like, what a waste, you know? He only speaks English now. He speaks one language. And my grandmother can barely speak English. She's like, hello, how are you? You know, <laughs> like, she can't, she barely speaks English. So I'm like, holy cow, if I decided to throw my language away, I wouldn't be able to talk to my grandmother right now, you know? And as a little kid, as a teenager, you don't think of that. You're like, whatever, whatever, it's too hard, you know? And then when you become an adult, especially when you have a child, you're like, oh my God, it's so important. So right now I'm working on creating a classroom in my daughter's room um, and she's going to learn all three languages. I've created word boards and I'm going to make her classroom like <laughs> a I'm daycare. a nutcase. How it's going to be daughter? a daycare. My daughter's two and a half and she talks like a 16 year old. It's oh. ridiculous. But I really realize so much sass. <laughs> it's her mother. so crazy but I really really realize especially when we're traveling to the north and we're visiting family my daughter speaks a lot of English a lot of English and are you discriminated against for what your daughter is speaking yeah they make you feel it they make you feel like but then she totally understands everything I speak to her she understands but, you know, it's just so much easier to speak English and I have to watch myself. Like, if I can say it in Inutitut, I should say it. And I'm really trying to work on that. And her father on the other side, French. We're trying to teach her French also. So we're like, we're playing games all the time, you know. We're stepping on feet and trying to trying to make sure my daughter grows up proud of all three aspects of, of herself and to to master all three aspects of herself. And it's hard. And I realize a lot when we're in daycare and when we're traveling, there's a lot of words that don't exist in our language. So even if I wanted to speak my language, I can't, you know? And it really hurts when I'm traveling. I'm in an all-inclusive resort, palm trees, flip-flops, you know, all of these things. There's no words for them because they're not a part of our surroundings. But I feel like that's going to kill our language if we do not continue to, to evolve our language and to include things that are not necessarily just a part of our world. Because once you leave our world, then you can't speak your language. I met a couple from Poland not too long ago, and they were speaking Polish, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, wow, where are you guys from? Oh, we're from Poland, but we've lived in Ireland for 12 years. And I said, are there Polish schools in Ireland? No. Are there Polish TV? No. And I said, wow, so you kept your language for 12 years. And that's when I looked at it and I said, okay, it's us that's responsible. It's not the schools. It's not... It's not the radio shows. It's us to be responsible for our language. If you can live in Ireland where nobody speaks Polish and keep your language 12 years later, it's our responsibility as individuals to say, I'm going to work hard to keep my language. So I'm always trying to to work with my daughter to to speak Inuktitut. And she's very kutaktik. <laughs> she's so used to speaking English, so she always goes, Alala kutaktuk. 
<laughs> it's so cute. She's trying to say like katat too, but she just adds on a, bother, a bunch of other syllabics, and it's just so cute. But at, she's trying, you know, I'm like it. yeah, katat too. <laughs> you know, it's just the cutest thing to see. So we talked. We 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 talked about like ownership, what it means for us to be Inuit, what pride means to us, and when it comes down to it, it. We talk about conservation. We talk about preservation, and we talk about passing it forward someday, whatever that means to us. So, what I'm what I'm seeing coming from you guys is we talk about all these things, and it comes down to us having to own it. Mm-hmm. We have to learn how to own our pride to be able to continue it mm-hmm. for future generations. Because even me, I have a son, and I look at him and. Um, He's starting to pick up other languages quick here in the city, and he's losing a lot of his own language. And then that's on me. Mm-hmm. That's on me. But I have to say that I grew up in the south, birthday parties and yeah. dresses and things with these girls over there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't speak Inuktitut until my teenage years. And for the first beginning of my years living in the north, it was, you know, I had that stereotypical mindset of. Southern life compared to northern life and how it was lesser, and we talk we we talked about owning it, and I didn't want to own it. I disassociated with that very quick because I didn't want to be part of a statistic where you know all that negativity negativity lingers on. So it took me a while, and what really made me get into it was because I couldn't follow in the conversations, and I wanted to be part of it. Even though I didn't never went to school in Inuktitut, I wanted to know it because I was being left out mm-hmm. in the north. So that was how I was able to catch on. Like I, I learned it off the street, out of families, out of homes, and mm-hmm. things like that, in my teenagehood. And now that I'm in my twenties, this is something that I realize is more concerning for us. So we talk about conserving it. How am I going to conserve it? I'm going to start it at home with my son. Mm-hmm. So. Um, while I have Olivia here, guys, I see the twin flames are here too. They're going to be getting in on this conversation soon. But I think I'll start with Olivia. Um, uh, we have the very talented vice president of the of the Half Street Youth Council here, Olivia Aiki, and uh, she's going to speak about Inuit history in a nutshell and her version of history one hundred one and how colonialism is affecting us now. Different nations and cultures have traumatic histories too. It's not just Inuit. What we observe now is a consequence of what happened to Inuit, but it does not define us or defy us. As a decorated Nunavimut, Olivia, we would like to hear from you what you think about our history and the effects of colonialism. Colonialism. <laughs> colonialism. Colonialism. So we would like to hear from you what you think about our history and the effects of colonialism. <laughs> you can do it. I believe in you. I think I can. <sighs> colonialism. Colonialism. <laughs> uh, so we would like to hear from you what you think about our history and colonialism. <laughs> colonialism. Colonial. Okay. Our history and colonialism. 
So, like I said, five years ago, I never identified as an Inuk person. Um, I came to col college here, and I was in immigrants' classroom, in the international classroom, and I couldn't believe it. I thought there was a mistake because I had been in English class my entire life, you know? And I came to college, and I was like, I'm with Asians. Like, they can't even speak English. What's going on? So I called my student counselor, and he told me, uh, yeah, you're a second language student. I said, what do you mean? I've been in English since grade one. Like, what do you mean? And he said, well, you're a second language student. I said, holy cow, is anybody ever going to tell me? Like, I was an advanced class in my English. I was always the advanced in English, you know? So I thought I was learning everything else that other Canadians were learning, only to find out that not at all. I lasted 32 days in college. I dropped to the floor that time on the phone with my college counselor and I said I quit like how embarrassing how defeating how humiliating is this you didn't even give me the chance to learn what I probably could have learned from the beginning you'd stereotyped me as an Inuk child that cannot learn and that's where we started off from you know and these things are happening in our in our homes and we just have a mindset that as Inuk we can't I can't. And this is put in our head from 500 years of colonization. Like, we believe that whites are superior. It's crazy. And it's happening today. Um, you know, how residential schools, police would pick up children and everything. The other day I was at the hospital and there was this Inuk woman with her son who was half white he looked super he's a little white kid and he's staring at a doctor and they're like trying to walk by the hallway and the woman says to her son come here come on and the kid is not listening so the woman says this white man's gonna take you and i was like and the kid was terrified he ran he started running he's gonna listen to his mom and this mindset was brought when residential schools were here, when dog slaughters were here, we're still living in this mindset, but in different ways, you know? It's 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 a 2017 version of being terrified of the white superior human. And we live like that, unknowing that we still live like that. There's a fear that we have um, of doctors, of nurses, of social workers, police officers. We don't trust any of them, you know? And I never thought any of this had anything to do with my life. Residential school, whatever, yeah, all right, happened, whatever. I never thought it had anything to do with my life. Uh, I went to a conference in Winnipeg on reconciliation, and I met with my aunt, who's been in the Army since she was 17 years old. Um, she was one of the only Inuit to finish the Army program. And... She told me that my grandfather was in residential school. I never knew that. I never knew. Like, I found out in in March that my grandfather went to residential school. And they're one of the ones that weren't recognized because they're in Labrador. They're one of the ones that was left out of the apology. And my aunt, my my, father, my grandfather had crooked fingers, but I never, never asked, you know. My aunt said, do you know why he has crooked fingers? I said, why? What's what? And she said, well... When he was put in residential school, he spoke Inuktitut and they broke his fingers. And they told him that they're not going to bring him to the hospital because it's your fault that 
you got into this mess in the first place. And he had crooked fingers all my life. Like, I never, ever thought anything. And once I started understanding the history, I could really link attitudes in my family, perceptions, everything. I could really go, oh my God, that's where it came from. That's where it came from. My mother for many, many years struggled with alcohol. My Both my grandparents committed suicide. My grandmother when I was two, my grandfather when I was 14, you know, and I never understood why. I've, I've, I don't know my grandmother. I, I don't even remember her. I tried to remember. I was two. I don't remember anything. But I never understood why. Why would they do that, you know? Until you finally understood. I heard stories of when residential school children wouldn't eat their food and they would puke it back into the bowl, they would make them eat it because that was the only food. And one time my mother, alcoholic back, I was a kid, my mother tried to force me to eat chili. <laughs> I hate chili. Like, I don't know. I, beans, I won't touch it, you know. And I sat there and I was like, I'm not going to eat it. And she's like, you will eat it. You will eat it. And I tried to eat it. And I puked it back into the bowl. And my mom said, you will eat this. You're going to sit there till you eat this. I sat there till 2 in the morning crying. And my mom was trying to force me to eat the chili. And I just thought, this woman is crazy. Like, she's a freaking crazy woman. I didn't understand. And then I started hearing about the stories of residential school children and what they went through and what my grandfather went through and what he transmitted to my mother and what my, tra my mother was transmitting to me. And... A light bulb went off. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is happening in 2017. Right now, today, as we breathe, colonial effects are still a huge part of our lives. And especially being a half-breed, being half, you know, half-white, it's super hard. You know, for a long time, I hated both sides of me. I hated white people and I hated Inuit. <laughs> I hate myself, you know? How do you live your life hating everything about you, hating your language, hating your skin, hating your hair, your eyes, your the way you move, the way you dress, you know, it's, you just hate everything about it because both sides are conflicting all the time. And that's where reconciliation needs to come in because there are people are coming in our communities and we could either be angry and tell them you're here to make money or we can try to create a relationship and say, why are you here? Are you here for the right reasons? Do you understand why you're here? And can we work together? A lot of people come to the North to save us. They don't even know what the hell they're saving us from. I don't even know what I need saving from, you know? I know there's a lot of social problems. I know that, that these things are happening, but I don't know why. So how the hell can I fix them? You can't fix something you don't know why the problem is there in the first place. So we have social workers, we have teachers coming up, we have doctors and police officers coming to say, I'm coming to help you. You don't know why we are in the state we are right now today. You have no idea. And you, you will never help us if you don't understand. So last year I became furious. I was frustrated that people were coming into my community to save me. And I was like, I'm sick of this. They need to be trained before they come in to my community before you step in the school you should be sensitized like really and a lot of the times organizations offer cultural training whatever and it's a powerpoint and it's like oh these are Inuit and they put pictures and it's like wow we're so amazing we go hunting 
yeah, there's a lot of things going on. So I started an Inuit 101 project where I did a six-week program. Every Sunday afternoon, we had people from the community, youth, Inuit, cops, lawyers, doctors. I was very disappointed we didn't get a single police officer. We went to the police station. We spoke to them. We gave them posters and we're like, this would be very beneficial for your job. But it wasn't mandatory. Eh? We, It was just kind of, it, it was a voluntary thing. We started this project with not a single cent. I got everything donated. I created a six-week program with not one cent. Luisa volunteered. All my friends volunteered to come share their story as half-breeds, as Inuit, as, as community members. And we started this program, and it was very human. It was pure human. We played documentaries, and then we had sharing circles. And people just shared. What do you feel? Why do you feel like this? Who are you? What are you in the community? What are you doing? You know, And people were just sharing. And a lot of the people, I had lawyers, nurses, doctors, they were like, I knew about residential school, and I knew about the dog slaughter, but it wasn't like this. They said, I've read reports. I've, I've, I've heard things, but I didn't see it from a human context, you know? And they think that us today, we're not affected. So they're like, oh, it's, it's, they're facing different social problems. No, we are facing what our other generations are facing. We just happen to be living in a different time frame, but we're still facing these things. It just looks different. It looks like youth protection. It looks like KRPF. It doesn't, it's not RCMP anymore, you know? And when I finally understood that, I could really look at myself and my mother's relationship and, and really understand that it's nobody's fault. It's not our fault that we are in the situation we are in. And it's not white people's fault that we are in the situation. It's not a blame game. Like, like Luisa was saying, we have to own it. It's us to own it and to say, okay, this is what happened in my life and what can I do now? My mother just put herself in rehab voluntarily by herself amazing and i think it's it's a very different healing now it's completely different than the many times that she has been into rehab because we know the effects of residential school now we know the effects of col colonialism we know these now so we know what we're facing and we know what to do now so right now it's a very different healing it's a very different approach towards my child. You know, I want to break that that stigma. I don't want my child growing up hating white people. I don't want my child growing up hating Inuit people. I want her to be proud of all aspects of her life. So it's really understanding the past and being, you know, it's it's it pisses you off. It makes you angry that these things, they shouldn't have even happened, but they did. And we need to be aware of that and we need to be able to make conscious decisions knowing the information we know now and to be able to move forward on a, on a positive level. What really changed my life is I was a part of a, a reconciliation conference, very small conference. There was about 15 of us and we were being trained to become reconciliation officers in communities so we can go back to our communities and create workshops like this. And one of the exercises was... Um, it was called the the experiential village. It was by this woman called Kathy Camilleri. She created this workshop where you are experiencing colonialism, like you are being colonized. So we start off as untouched people, 
before Europeans ever arrived. How we live, our language, our culture, our art, our buildings, our 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 land, our plants, our everything that was a part of our life. And then she comes in and she's wearing a red cap and she's the colonizer. And she comes in and she starts taking our clothing and she starts taking our language and she's throwing it away. And you're like holding this piece of art and she takes it from you. And you're like, whoa, you know, like you're really experiencing what they experienced. And I couldn't believe that this really happened. Like, <laughs> what? We, we, we weren't even human to these people, you know, we were in the way of them. And I couldn't believe that my people went through that and we're here today. You know, I was like, holy cow, we're supposed to be dead. I am not even supposed to be here. We are not even supposed to be in this damn room right now. We are not supposed to be speaking Inutitude. We are not supposed to be proud of our culture. It's supposed to be wiped out. And that's when I came out like, oh my God, I'm Inuk. I'm Inuk 100%. I came out of there. I will tell everybody in the world that I'm Inuk and that my struggle is real. And why I'm here today, it's because of my the generations before me. I shouldn't be here. My daughter shouldn't be alive today. And that's where I came out like, holy cow, Inu Vunga. And everybody will know that. And, you know, we, we have the highest suicide, highest drug and alcohol, highest dropout, highest teen pregnancy, highest STD. We have the highest of the worst. But why? There are reasons why. When we have children, we don't say, ah, this poor child is going to be in jail. That is not our dream for our children. We have huge dreams, but the effects of colonialism are attached to, to teenagers today, whether they know it or not. When they breathe, they are part of colonialism. They are breaking. They are standing and showing their pride. That is resistance against oppression that is resistance against hate just being proud just showing everybody just do it like go all out it's that's resistance against oppression when you speak your language you're resisting against oppression when you participate in your culture when you go hunting when you when you sow you are resistance just being alive today and breathing as an Inuk person is resistance against everything that was done to us and and to really show my grandmother my grandmother is going through dementia right now some days she remembers this some days she doesn't some days she thinks she's in 1935 you know like it's painful to see that she went through this and she raised three amazing successful Inuit men without any fathers and that had a huge effect on my father's life. He doesn't know his father. He doesn't want to know his father because of the anger of being left, you know? And it, it affects all of us today. And I asked my dad if I could search for his dad. And he was like, no, nope, he's going to think we're looking for money. So I said, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a connection to my other side of my blood. I need that connection. I want to know who I am. And my dad said, nope, we're not going to look for him. I said, okay, dad, when you die, I'm looking for him. <laughs> and he said, okay, when I die, you could do that. So I'm, now, I'm on a huge journey, you know, and I got this tattoo of the Eskimo identification tags when I really started learning about E-numbers e -numbers and what they meant and what the government did. You know, they're like, oh, we kept track of all these Inuit. We brought them to TB sanatoriums and then we lost them. Hanu, you said you had track of them. How did you lose them? Like, 
it's so mind-blowing. So I'm building myself a sleeve of everything that I learned in my life. Um, I'm from Kuchuk, Napakduli, trees. I, I love trees. That's my life. It's trees. And my grandmother told me a story of when she was 21 years old, uh, they were moved from Gangsuk to Kuchuk um, because they were only two women left and they didn't have a man to take care of them. So they said, if we put you into a into a community, you will have more help, you know? Next to an HPC post. Next to a Hudson's Bay Company post, you will have better quality of life or whatever. So they were moved there and... On arrival, when my grandmother was getting there, she thought there were thousands of people waiting at the beach to see them. They were trees. She had never seen trees in her life before. Her first time seeing a tree, she was 21 years old. And me, I, I, my life is trees. I grew up with trees, you know, and it's just mind-blowing that you could take people out of their home and think it has no effect on them and think it's like, you know, Hallonaks, they move, they move, they move. They just move cities. Inuit, we, you move, but that's always your home. You go back to that one place. And my grandmother is always, always said, this is not my home. And I never understood. I never understood. And she always used to say, um, people are jealous of me. And I used to be like, what do you mean? What? Who's jealous of you? Like, are you for real? But then I learned that children who were not taken to residential school, when children who came back from residential school, they hated the children that didn't go to residential school. So my grandmother was one of them that got the runt of not being taken to residential school. And I didn't understand. I thought she was a crazy old lady. Who the hell is jealous of you? What do you mean? But it affected her entire being as a woman, as an Inuk, growing up. And I never understood that. And now I finally do. So so just to kind of go back and summarize what, what, what your perception is and how... Anyway, so we talk about going on individual journeys and exploring into our own histories and identifying possibly where, you know, there were past traumas. Residential school, obviously, is a major trauma. Um, being forced into permanent settlements and having the dog slaughter, that was a trauma. And then, of course, the aftermath of having to deal with all this trauma and how it's being passed on intergenerationally. So, you know, fortunately for you, um, you were able to identify these trademarks into your history. And then you build upon that, right? So you take it and then instead of letting it negatively affect you, mm -hmm. you were able to turn it into something. And what you did in your home community of Gujur, um, you were able to kind of recycle that and use it as a lesson to teach incoming yeah. individuals about how, you know, Inuit in general are affected uh, going back so far and how... Um, things are now and how, you know, for them to better understand the work that they have to do, they have to understand the people who they're working with, mm -hmm. obviously, because this is very important news. And that's something like, you know, for any Halunak or Wiwi coming into the territory, it's very important for them to be able to identify um, who we are and why we are, basically. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we can start working on building different relationships and um, incorporating the Inuk pride. So um, 
you're you're new into your position as vice president. I started yesterday. No, oh. I started on Monday. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. So we talk about Inuit pride and we talk about restoring and things like this. Um, what 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 I have been able to identify with this group here that we have is that we are generally proud people. Um, so we talk about, Olivia was talking about restoring um, or building up the non-beneficiaries knowledge. knowledge so that they'll be able to help properly. But how are we going to help ourselves? So a, a question that I often ask myself and a question that I've, you know, been not been able to answer, but I feel like I get a little bit more of a sense from you when you talk about your story is how are we going to restore self-worth? Because a lot of times Inuit are so they make themselves into this small person that is worthless or, you know, not successful or not doing well. So for the youth who are listening and for um, other people who are listening how can we restore worse Inuit pride? I'd like to hear from you guys. I think the best thing like, is to start with loving yourself, right? You have to love yourself because guess who you're stuck with for the rest of your life? <laughs> <laughs> like, Start small like, oh, I love my nails. And then, you know, you work on that. And then you go, oh, I really like my hands too. And then, you know, you start doing stuff with your hands. You start, basically start by loving yourself. Because that's when you can start loving others the way they deserve to be loved. Like, I know. It's like saying, um, like, I, like, I, like, it took me forever to, like, be proud of being in a, like, like, I started, like, saying, okay, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to love where I'm from. I'm going to love um, the roots that I have. And I'll, I want to show people, like. So I started, like, as a teenager. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm not white. I'm not Asian. I'm not Mexican. <laughs> I'm not Sorry. <laughs> I get all of them all the time. Right? Like, I get Filipino most times. Mm, me too. I always get Chinese or like I'm from Taiwan or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 honey. <laughs> I do your nail for you. No. <laughs> it, like self-love is so important because that's when you can start sharing. So like I start there. In my experience, if I wanted to build my worth for Inuit pride, I would start practicing. If I if I if I get good at something, or one of the words, or during any sewing, and finish it, and be like, ah, oh, good, great, I can do this. So I'll go on to the next one. So that builds my my worth if I start practicing. Yeah. Practice so basically, just important. like one small thing at a time. It's like yeah. it's not like I have to be uh, the best seamstress and the best hunter, and I have to be perfect in it to do. Like you can't do all of the things at once. It's yeah. just slowly. I think that's what's Acceptance. most important. Yeah, and doing it one thing at a time. You know, like oh, I can do that. I'm really good at that. And you know, like she said, like. Yeah, I can do that. You know, it's always one step further and you're like, okay, I know how to do that. That's so like whatever. No, that's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I, it's just slowly building 
up to right. your self-worth. Yeah, like, I started swimming when I was 22. 27. I don't... I've learned a lot in five years. <laughs> a lot. Like, I'm not at a Arctic level yet because that's so complicated. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> that's terrifying. <laughs> but, like, I'm at the point where... I'm starting to sew, like, my, my gimmicks myself. Like, I watch people, like, do their sewing, and I'm like, okay, I know what kind of stitches I'm supposed to do now. I know how I'm supposed to, like, fold everything. And I'm just like, yes, I can do this, I can do this. But I haven't finished a pair yet. <laughs> You'll get there. I'll get there eventually. It's like progress, you know? Like, You'll eventually get there as long as you're still working towards getting there, you know? Mm. Practice makes progress, right? Yeah. doesn't have to make perfect. It makes progress. Yeah. yeah. So um, lastly, uh, I, we have another minute or two before we bring in the Twin Flames. Do you guys have any messages for youth who may be listening? Wake up. Wake up. I'm, I feel like we're like sleeping giants, you know? <laughs> I really believe that if any youth became proud and became morbid. Holy cow, could we change some things in our lives? And I feel like we need to support each other. We need to support each other. You know, let's stop making fun of people that don't speak in to do that are kutaktuk. Let's stop making people feel bad because they can't sew. Let's let's support them, you know? And I think it was brought in many years ago that shame 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 and lateral violence and oppression we just start attacking each other we're attacking each other right now and it's people are dying people are committing suicide people are running away people are drinking and everything and it we need to really look at ourselves and say what can i do to help anybody one person if you help one person that's it that one person is going to help another person and it's going to create like a huge ripple effect even if you don't think you're having an effect on, on anybody's life just you living your life you have effect on other people's lives so being conscious of that let's be conscious that we're change makers whether we think we are or not if you're at the co-op paying your bill you're a freaking change maker you know right there <laughs> I think to add on that, like what you just said, like spread love. Don't just be like, oh, I don't like what she's doing or she's better at me at that. I'm going to hate her for it, you know? Just spread love. Be like, good job. In other ways, you know? So it's just spreading love. Be more kind to people around you because... Be positive. Uh thinking about like colonization and whatnot like they made us hate each other a lot and it's still like this to this day so change it and spread love you know be like cool good job you know? hashtag lateral love <laughs> lateral love hashtag. I, love it. <laughs> I mean i can talk for days and days know, and days yeah, you know so i'm like and, and on, they're on, like on. at the window like get up kids get up <laughs> <laughs> so um before. I can't wait for this to air. I know. I wish we could do this, like, all the time. This is so cool. We need our own, like, youth radio show, you know? Me and Olivia, we used to dream about, like, you know, being disc jockeys. <laughs> so we'd be like, welcome to CKG UFM. Where you are feeling? 
have the twin flames. We have Yaye and Chelsea here with us. Uh, today on Busey Boot, we're going to be talking about us. To get started, um, I want to dig into our grassroots. I went around and I asked people, what does it mean for you to be Inuk, to be Indigenous? Today, we're going to talk about our history, healing, and making it history. So to start off with, I would like to say that you guys are really great. And I really appreciate the way that you guys have been able to build people up and even give them comfort through your songs. When I speak about self-esteem and cultural pride, it's hard to help in the effort. But I think that everyone who does manage to make their mark in society starts somewhere. So oftentimes it's an aha moment. And I'm hoping um, the two of you will be able to elaborate for us, your aha moments, and where you would see our collective futures. So, hi. Hi, Louisa. Hi. Welcome. Aha. Aha. <laughs> I'm really happy to have you guys here in studio today. And so, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm going to leave it open and up to you guys. So, if you guys want to even self-introduce, just for the record. My name is Yai, and uh, thank you so much, Louisa, for the very generous... Um, introduction um, it's it's a it's it's a pleasure to be here um, I'm gonna let uh, my wife talk first yeah hey congratulations lady. you thank guys you. thank you welcome <laughs> to the married life uh, yes. yeah yeah happy to be part of it <laughs> so um you guys were married a month ago two um, months now. September 2nd yeah two yeah. months now awesome. tomorrow yeah. yay Yay to healthy relationships, marriage, and overall just joy. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Um, so I'm Chelsea June uh, from Twin Flames, the other half of Twin Flames. <laughs> just super happy to be here. Um, I think every time that um, I'm included in Inuit culture and things that are affecting our fellow Inuit, um, it's a true testament to the evolution of how things are changing. And uh, I'm just there's so much pride that comes along with that. So, Nakukmik for having me here today. Nakukmik, how is it? For me, I'm always uh, uh, when I when I when I get asked to do these uh, pride things on on who you are and where you come from. Um, it's such an individual um, and subjective thing. Um, you know, I, I I happen to be Inuk, but I also happen to be Mohawk. Um, and I was raised by my grandparents, um, obviously in the language, being from Hwaktak, which is uh, um, a very um, linguistically strong community. Uh, the elders uh, scolded you for saying the wrong words, even in public. Um, and it was for the preservation of the language, uh, understood, understood. But um, my mother, um, in the four walls and the ceiling, basically our home, um, raised me in a way where um, there was no no skin color. There was no, uh, it was spoken in the home and that's the way it was. Um, uh, being Inuit uh, for me um, was never a thing because back, way back in the day, being the only people 
in that vast country we we are from, we were it. We were them. It was just that was it. There was no category. There was no category, and today everything has a category. So everything I'm always mixed. Yeah, and it, it 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 gets to the point where it's annoying, and then people get offended over, over the, the tiniest things, you know. And I think that in that in that scope, a society is being built around that. And while we're supposed to be picking ourselves up, being proud of, being proud of who we are. It's almost as if we are being pigeonholed into another society of being um, trying to be not offended all the time. Yeah, sorry. There's we, we we've talked a lot about this earlier with the youth and how you know we have a lot of stereotypes being native, being indigenous, you know, in urban settings, in non-urban settings, and we talked about how it affects us. So. Um, we had a lot of really strong opinions and I'd like to hear from you guys about what it means for you to be Indigenous and to have pride. So what makes you proud? So I, I think just touching on what Yayu was talking about, you know, we've had these discussions in other settings as well. And I, I found it extremely interesting because someone who grew up in the culture, never really questioning it because it was always there you know, versus someone like me who did not grow up in the culture, who was not allowed to have that culture, um, there's almost like this sense of this need to reclaim it. You know, it's like taking candy away from a kid and letting them taste it only once and saying, you can't have it ever again. Well, that kid's going to fight like hell to have that candy back, right? And it's the same thing <laughs> with culture. You know, for me, as an Indigenous woman, um, it was something that was very hidden in my family. Um, my great-grandfather grew up in Manawaki, and he was never allowed to live on the reserve because when the church burned down and all the records burnt with it, he was able to claim himself as a white man because he had paled skin and he was already mixed at that point. So he was able to get a job and provide for his family. And as an Indigenous man, he would have never been able to do that. So we were taught, like, generation after generation to keep the secret of who we were as people. And, you know, my grandmother tells the stories of her and her sisters walking down the streets in Manawaki and having rocks thrown at them and being called savages. And they were all pale-skinned as well, but they still had to deal with that stigma and that racism towards being an Indigenous person. Um, so for me, it's always been about reclaiming it. Um, I think in my adult years, that's when it became extremely, I guess, my aha moment. Um, I was working at Indigenous and Northern Affairs at headquarters, and I was hired as an Aboriginal student and then got bridged in and so forth. Um, but because of my skin color, many times people would never even question if I had Indigenous blood. It was just, she's a white person. But then you would sit around tables and board meetings and you would hear racist things being said. And these are change. These are the people, the forefront of change. And there's racism going on behind those four walls. So it was kind of almost like a secret disguise, right? And, and being in this whole other world um, where I just felt like I couldn't make a difference. And being there every day, feeling like the decisions that are being made for our people, not by our people, is just, it was so frustrating. Um, so there was a center there called the Kumik Lodge. And that's where people could go and meet one-on-one -on -one with elders from all different tribes across Canada. And I was 
so shy to go there. You know, like this was at a point where I knew I was Indigenous my whole life. I was told I was Indigenous, but what the heck does that mean? You know, growing up in Ottawa, never seeing it, never seeing a powwow, never seeing a hand drum, never seeing smudging, never seeing any of the things that have meaning to our people. I wanted to know. And so I ended up befriending a girl that I worked with that just happened to be from Kitsiganzibi, the reserve that my family roots should have been from. And uh, she invited me to come to Kumik with her. And I still remember the lunch hour, like contemplating, like, what are they going to think when I walk in there? You know, why is this white person there? And, you know, I had so much self-doubt in who I was because how I felt on the inside, every time I looked in the mirror was a reminder that that's not how I looked on the outside. So walking into that room for the first time was really difficult. But once I did, and I smelt the sage burning and I felt the ceremony, it was like, holy cow, like this is this is what was taken. And this is what I feel like I'm finally coming home to. And so that's kind of when my spiritual journey started again and reconnecting with that culture and feeling that sense of identity. But even today, it's like I always walk in two worlds. You know, I can much easier fit into a white world, walk in a white world, and never be questioned for it. Yet as an Indigenous woman trying to make my way in an Indigenous world, I am constantly questioned. How are you Native? You're not Native. Look at what you look like. But that is rape culture. And this is something that I am still today learning to work on because I did not have a choice of what my exterior would look like. My grandmother did not have that choice. My mother did not have that choice. These are things that happened to our women where that pureness of blood was taken. So we see it just as often in Indigenous cultures as we do in Inuit because we spend a lot of time up north. And the whiter the Inuit, it almost seems like they're almost seen as not Inuk enough, you know? And so that has helped with my own healing because I feel like all healing is this circle. And each time that I meet somebody else that's kind of going through those same things, it's like, hey, we can relate, you know, we can we can make peace with this and go forward. And hopefully one day on this planet, people will stop judging by exteriors. But, you know, that day is yet to come. So how can we work on those, you know, prejudgments and how can we learn to love ourselves and regain that pride and that identity when our exteriors don't match our interiors? I think that's very much reality for many of our listeners because... You know, we we always have this clash of worlds and it's hard to identify with either or. And so they kind of end up meshing the two and identifying themselves as, you know, we were saying earlier, mixed breeds, which is, you know, not very, very incorrect term <laughs> but but it's true you know your, it's, your, your brother and I call each other half breeds <laughs> <laughs> you know you guys uh, our, our listeners are at this point where you know we, we even generationally we come from our elders and our parents who live extremely different lifestyles compared to what we live now so you look back and you see you know nomadic and sedentary now. So we're always trying to reinvent ourselves. And basically what I got from you is you came 
from a place where it was hard to identify with anything. So now you're in the process of re-identifying yourself. And I love that. It's it's every every healing journey is very individual. Mm-hmm. And so for the people who are out there listening and, you know, they, they may find themselves in similar situations where, you know, it's hard for them to be able to, you know, place themselves either in this generational gap or, you know, between two worlds of, you know, whatever it may be. It's every every journey is individual. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it is. And Yai's favorite saying, which I'm going to say for him, is that we're all human. And I think, you know, as important as cultural identity is, it's just being okay with yourself, mm-hmm. you know, without a label, just you and yourself and what's inside. And that's the first step. And that's what my mother would always tell me when, when you go out that door, just remember who you are. And that's, that's to be as much as you can a good person. Um, if you happen to be speaking in the language, you know, you are. And I think that everything is so individual, as you said, or as we've said since the beginning, um, we cannot choose who we are. You know, I, I remember my kids, my, my older set of kids, they're adults now, um, young adults. And one of the things they would talk about, um, especially when we uh, come back from Cuba or, or, or a resort like that, and they'd be amazed at, at uh, the opportunity to be able to work in a place like that, where um, one of the, uh, if not all, you know, they have to speak multiple languages, you know. Um, If you learn Spanish, if you're from another culture, does that make you Spanish? You know, if you learn um, German, do you become German? You know, obviously being Inuit, you know, if you speak Inuktitut, great. You know, um, I'm always at that crossroads uh, when I'm trying to explain to somebody, don't ever feel bad for not being able to. You know, it is totally up to you to be able to to pick that up yourself. It's not going to make you more Inuk, however. It's, 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 it's a reality. It's harsh to say, and I'm not knocking uh, anybody at this, and I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying to feel better about yourself. You have to start from inside. Mm-hmm. And when you when you are ready to learn it, go for it. But don't don't learn a language just to become somebody. Right. You're already that person, and it's always an asset to do it. And, and by all means, I mean, um, even my my younger set of kids, including our um, Chelsea's uh, Chelsea's kids, they're they're very much mine now, and they're very much into Inuktitut culture. You know, Chelsea's little boy is uh, is uh, his dad is from uh, is Lebanese. Wow! But quite the mix. Mm-hmm. He'll 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 parade around uh, like uh, like a warrior and say, "I am Minuk." Oh no! <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> so you know, it, 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 identity is is always individual, and my 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 kids, uh, including um, Chelsea's, they want to learn Inuktitut. And one of the things that, uh, unfortunately, I, I lost uh, with some with some uh, events that happened in my life uh, where I had no time for my kids because I had to be in the hospital out with my other son. Um, my kids lost their language. I barely saw them. Um, you know, now they're crying for it. So 
you know, this is something that we're, we're going to be working on now where we'll just be, you know, to do it at home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her, her kid, kids will benefit. She will benefit. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she wants to learn as well. So, yeah. you know, learning a language is a privilege. It's, and if you learn your own language, even better. So that's, uh, you know, my, my, my mother always made sure that we had clothes and food and, and, and to be able to ensure that we're not being uh, assholes out there. <laughs> Buttholes out there. Decent people. Decent people, yeah. <laughs> edit. Power of edit. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, so I'm always at that crossroads when somebody asks me to go up on a panel or, or go up on stage and talk about how proud I am to be Indigenous or how proud I am to be Inuit. There's no such thing. You guys have a lot of responsibility, you know, being being out there and having all these things to offer with your music. And then you also have these titles, basically, right? The Twin Flames, ooh, Indigenous, what does it mean to you? And then, you know, I, I get it. It's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it... Sorry. <clears throat> When we talk about pride and we talk about, you know, where we come from, where grassroots are and things like that, um, I, I'm, I'm sure you guys are often explaining yourselves, well, I come from this and do this and this and that and I speak this, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, so for a, a lot of our listeners are going to be youth, they're going to be adults, they're going to be haluna, um, they're going to be wee weak. Uh, we're going to be speaking in English, you know, to do, um, you know, uh, French or any other Indigenous First Nations language. So um, is there anything that you guys would like, to, like a specific message that you guys would like to spread about about pride, about cultural pride, about, you know, restoring self-worth is something that we spoke a lot about earlier with the youth um, at this roundtable discussion, because their their conclusion their bottom line was that you know we we need to own it and we need to restore it um so do you guys have any specific messages that you would like to help spread i i think for myself just touching on what we had just talked about as well is trying to end bilateral violence because we see so much of it on Facebook. You know, we are at a point where we're very lucky to be as loved as we are. But we have so many friends that maybe we haven't even personally met at this point. You know, yeah, he's at like 5,000 friends. I'm at about 4,000 something and like 700 pending, right? But wow. we see all of it, right? And scrolling through those news feeds, it's like, you're not in it because you don't speak the language. You're not in it because you're white, you know? and just all this bilateral violence is happening on Facebook, it's happening in person, it's happening in communities. And I think in order for us to rebuild, that needs to stop, you know, between Indigenous, between Inuit, Métis, like even there, there's bilateral violence. It's like, oh, Métis are not Indigenous enough to be Indigenous because they're mixed. And, you know, Indigenous, you know, don't always associate Inuit with being indigenous like it's just all these crazy like layers of insane insanity Mm -hmm. yeah insanity like I just it 
it boggles my mind. Like, how are we ever going to rebuild? How are we ever going to be strong if we can't even get along within ourselves? Right. Like, we already have the rest of the world against us. You know, why not? It's like two is always better than one in my mind. So I think being kinder to one another, being more accepting, understanding that everyone's journey is individual, everyone's journey is on a different timeline, and bringing people up instead of down, I think for me is is my main message that we both try to get across all the time. Because if we don't work together, we will work against each other. And that's what the man wants. You know, that is the seed that was planted generations ago was to extinct us, to have us no longer exist. And so by this bilateral violence, that's what's still happening. There was um, one of the youth who we had earlier, and she said, hashtag lateral love. Mm. Because I love it. Right? Yeah. Because it's true what you're saying is a lot of the stigmas and stereotypes often come from our own side of the border, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I get your message and it's to to accept one another and to build each other up. Empower. Empower. It's very important, especially when, you know, we're facing all these hardships and out, outer stereotypes, you know. How are we going to do that? How are we going to break the cycle? How are we going to restore our self-worth and build ourselves up? You know, it has to start somewhere. The I young women that were in here earlier uh, talking about uh, about it, you know, they uh, just listening to them, uh, I could listen to them all day. You know, the, the, the amount of knowledge they already have, the amount of pride that they, they are instilling in themselves and in, in, in one another, you know, it's 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 so nice to see that. No, it's so nice to hear it, um, because as as uh, Chelsea said, there's so much hate and and so much judgment um, that the 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 thing that we have to understand is that's coming from somewhere as well. We could never know what's going on with that person that decides to uh, blab their mouth and and put somebody down. They're going through something as well. And we always have to consider that. We always have to think about how um, even if we're having that not so great day, so many others are not having those not so great days also. And at the end of the day, we can only work on ourselves. And that was one of the things that really stood out in the previous uh, group is by working on yourself, no matter what things are flying your way from other people, because at the end of the day, those are just uh, vomit. You know, they're just projectiles. People need to project something sometimes in order to feel better or people need to pass on whatever uh, flood of negativity that went their way. We can only control ourselves. We have to know our roles. We can only work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's my message to, to the listeners is regardless of what you may be going through, at the end of the day, you're the only one that can decide whether you're going to accept it or not. You know, I grew up as the little Indian kid. You know, I, I grew up as the Khaluna. You know, my mother was uh, my adoptive mother. She was my grandmother, but her father was uh, was a settler with Hudson's Bay Company. 
And, you know, so obviously my mother had pale skin. And the way she lived, obviously she lived a lot more modern, uh, you know, in, in, in the things that she had, like when, when she had a hunting cabin, she just didn't have a hut. She had a home, you know, she, she wasn't glamping, but, you know, it's, <laughs> she, she, she had she, a different lifestyle. Yeah, she had a different lifestyle. She wanted to be comfortable. And, you know, there, there's sometimes that, that uh, resonated in, in, in other people's walls. But at the end of the day, my mother always whispered, evolution. Be proud of who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are. Just, just try to be as human as possible. I love it. Try to, try to help others if, uh, if need be. I remember seven years old, my mother, go, go pick some mice for, for the lady that can't walk. I'm seven years old. Just go, go up there. So I walked up to the lake. I'm seven years old. It's about a kilometer walk with a toboggan. And I had nothing but uh, the toboggan, a, a, a box, and, and, a, and an axe. And I got to the lake. Kuna is the crack on the ice. Okay. So if you if you if you um, jab at it with a chisel or okay. an axe um, outside of the crack, you can take a big chunk out. Okay. So I got up there and I I didn't know what it was. I guess I didn't pay attention that time when when, uh, <laughs> when we had gone. You were before. seven. I was seven, and my point of the story is not so much the language part, but the fact that. The humanity, the way it is now, everybody's so focused on what they don't have and what other people have. They're looking over the fence and just... The grass is greener. Yeah, and social media puts that, like, under a magnifying glass, right? Like, that's topping into a whole other subject. But, you know, it's a constant comparison right. of what you don't have. And it's also a constant, you know, mask, because people are only going to put, you know, some people will totally flood it with negativity and others will only post what they want the outside world to see. So none of it is actual reality, right? right. It's just this output of shit all the time. And so I think that constant comparing, especially if you're in a place where you're already maybe not feeling good about yourself, things are not going great in your life, and you're just scrolling and all you're seeing is either other negativity to enforce yours or someone that has it all, you know? So um, just for people to be aware of that, that it's not reality and that you have to make your own reality and use social media with caution. Facebook. That's the mother and me talking. Fight, fight. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag lateral love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if we can use social media for anything these days, I mean, like you said, it's so, so easy and everyone is so susceptible to misinterpreting, you know. Everybody gets offended so easily oh, for yeah. over the stupidest things. Yeah. And, and, and we talked about this a little bit earlier about labeling. Right. About everything having, having, uh, it's... Everybody's getting so complicated, overcomplicated, overthinking things to the point where 
they're getting sick. And when you're sick, you're you're hurting other people. It's stressful, it's anxiety, you know, it's depression, like you said. Like it's very easy for people to, like I said, interpret uh, what they see on social media and that, what real reality is. So I, I, I get it. I totally get it. So <clears throat> on a last note, um, I'd like to thank you guys for being here. I think we got a real, we had a really awesome conversation. It's going to resonate um, with our listeners for sure. Uh, we talked about things that people are going to be able to relate to on a personal matter. Uh, like, you know, when we talk about identity, when we talk about, you know, um, our healing journeys, um, I just have a last two questions for you. Mm-hmm. One of them is going to be, um, what are your goals? What What would you guys like to see in the near future? And how um, do you think that uh, we'll be able to help each other? How do you think we'll be able to help each other restore our pride? Personally, I think that uh, um, as... Uh, as you pointed out in your introduction and, and what uh, what Chelsea said about how um, we've been so lucky with the amount of love we've received with uh, with our fans and our listeners and the people that we meet along the way. I think that um, with everything that has gone on since um, colonialism up to now, um, families have detached, mm-hmm. right? Um, People are so preoccupied with other things, um, with reason as well. I mean, uh, the abuse, the 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 violence, the uh, everything that has happened. Um, you know, the the at the end of the day, today, um, up to now, the ones that are suffering the most are the kids mm-hmm. that are here today. I agree. And you know, our goal is always to. We're not. We're not healers. We're not. We're not their parents. We're not anything like that. But as much as we can, the only thing that we could always do is give back by by showing that we know that they exist. Right. And I think that uh, that's that's been our our biggest goal is 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 showing that no matter who you are, we can see you and be yourself. Continue to be yourself. And our goal is to to continue to do that and. And ensure because, as as you, we all know, suicide is 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 a huge problem in 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 the northern communities and in the reserves, and and it's it's gotta stop. We're all affected by it. We have family members that have uh, committed suicide. I was a police officer. I've seen it, and and it's just getting worse. And a lot of that is is because with everything, all the complications, with all the pressure that people have on themselves. They're forgetting to live and just live, just to be. And we are getting weaker because of it. With all this color, all this uh, pressure and, and, and all these problems and, and labels, we have to get back on our feet and, and be strong again. Mm-hmm. And we can only do that individually. And when we do that individually, then we can start working together. Because if, if you can't work on yourself, you can't work on things with other people that have the same amount of problems as you. So our goal is to ensure that people um, be less hard on themselves and, and just 
love 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 yourself i think that that was the other thing that resonated with the previous group love yourself mm-hmm. yeah and i think that in the overall goals is you know we can't always physically be there with people but our music can mm-hmm. and so even if it's changing someone's mind for 3 minutes and 40 seconds and making them feel that pride or reminding them of who they are that's always our goal in our songwriting and our messages and what we're putting out into the world um people have to be careful of what they're putting out into the world right because especially us now people are listening right and we need to make sure that those messages are always something that is going to spark a light inside of somebody you know there's so much darkness everywhere and i think also if we're talking about um musical goals um being proud of who we are and where we come from and wanting to share our cultures um on main stages all over the world you know there should be no reason that indigenous and inuit should be segregated and should not be allowed to be on the same stages as everyday canadians and with the new album signal fire we actually broke out of an indigenous only category in wow. the nominations this year Woo-hoo. so that was pretty exciting you know indigenous and inuit categories are needed and they're awesome. amazing and they help support our people and our artists but we should be able to be up there with everyone else as equals and i think it's starting mm-hmm. i agree and it's starting with people like you thank you so again thank you i really really appreciate having you guys here in studio with us today um i have uh one last question what's your favorite sexy song hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be like a song that um that you know you want to make love to or you know maybe it's maybe maybe it's um shoot what's his name maybe it's like a Barry White or maybe it's like, you know, Salt and Pepper or, you know, <laughs> I'm getting all over the place here, but you guys kind of have the idea, right? It's so hard because um uh, being musicians, um it's hard to imagine anything else other than um what we do because we're constantly constantly working on our stuff. Right. And everything else seems to just kind of like become a blur. So we we ha- we start having a hard time remembering the Okay, English but the songs. funny theme song that we have all the time is We started from the bottom now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> That's yours. That is mine actually. <laughs> go back go back to like when you're 14 looking in the mirror and like you know you have that song in the background. <laughs> That's my empowerment song. Ta 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 song. Oh no. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. So awesome. So speaking about music Um I'm wondering and and because we have you guys here in studio we're hoping that you'll be able to play a little song for us. Yeah, and speaking of sexy songs, this one is called Broke Down Skituk, which is not sexy at all, but um it has a sexy feel to it. <laughs> they actually played it on CBC during traffic hour. Awesome. Which is amazing Ottawa, yeah. in Ottawa. I'm digging it. So that's the one we're going to sing for you guys. Perfect. I can't wait. Ah 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 
Continue this discussion online. Check out the Checkup Project Facebook page. This week, we want to know from you what makes you proud to be Inuk. And to the Halonak and Weewik listeners out there, what do you like most about the Inuit culture? Next episode on Busiwut, we will talk about alcohol. What's up with booze in your communities? To drink or not to drink? Is that really the question? How do you deal with it? Parties and risk taking. Follow and write us on Facebook on the Checkup Project page. Thanks for being with us. Stay awesome and stay tuned. Pusivit is financed by the Nunavik Regional Board of Health and Social Services. Thanks to our host, Louisa Yates, the Twin Flames, and the Beatrice Deerband for the music. Audio Z for mix and editing. 32 Mars for the production. Veronique Morin and Fayla Grizzly from the Public Health Team for content and coordination. Thanks to our guests, Yayi and Chelsea from Twin Flames, Olivia Aiki, and the youth who participated in our discussions. Mostly, thanks to you.
our listeners.